Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode, well, this is an exciting thing to say. It's Norman Cook. Norman Cook, you know, that uh, that guy, what's he called? Fatboy Slim, Beats International, Pizza Man, Freak Power, House Martins, list goes on. Um, and we touch on uh, some of the aforementioned uh, on this chat, and it's a wonderful chat, as you can imagine, I'm sure. Uh, many of you have uh, have seen interviews with uh, Norman over the years under you know many different guises and uh, he's always charming, funny uh, and and generally just bloody lovely and that's what you're going to get today. Um, before we get on with the episode, uh, just a big thanks to 76 for producing this episode today. Um, big thank you to Scrooby's Pip and all my brothers and sisters at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, and yeah, and if you enjoy this. Um, when you get to the end of uh, the episode and you just think, oh, I'll listen to another one, go and have a, go and have a look in the back catalogue because there, there's other episodes that um, that I think you're going to enjoy as well. Um, you know, I've spoke to a wide range of of, uh, of, of DJs, producers, actors, you know, musicians, comedians uh, on this podcast, you know, acts as diverse as uh, Sheik to Public Enemy to James Lavelle to Maxine Peake. Uh, through to Mel C, uh, yeah, there's 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 an abundance of um, of wonderful creatives that um, all have a, a lovely natter with me, and uh, and they're all available for free. Um, and also, if you do really enjoy this and you want to support the podcast, I put up four unique little radio shows each week over on Patreon, so you can support the uh, the podcast over there. Um, that's on patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track. But I mean, you can find out about everything to do with this podcast, you know, all the, the 170 odd back catalogue episodes and Patreon and merch and all of them things um, at off the beaten track podcast.com. Let's get back to today's uh, business. Please enjoy. This gives me a lot of pleasure to say this, by the way. Uh, please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with the wonderful Norman Cook. Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Listen up. I've only got another new sponsor. Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label. And if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humour in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. Okay, right, we are recording, and uh, sitting opposite me today, Norman Cook. Hello. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. We've uh, we've already kind of got the the COVID chat out of the way pre, uh, pre-record, but it's one of them conversations that seems inevitable at the moment. You can't sort of meet anyone without going, hey, yeah, I, I, 
I really wish by now I had some kind of clever answer to it. Yeah. But I haven't had any sort of revelations. I've been a bit like a rabbit in the headlights, to be honest. I've yeah. just been kind of, don't quite know what's going on and what I should be doing about this. And aside from just looking after my kids, that's kind of my, that's just kicked in. That's my purpose in life. And obviously I've seen a lot more of them than I usually do. So um, yeah, I haven't really got a, a kind of view on it apart from Christ. This is, this, yeah, this is good, something to tell our grandchildren about. 100%, 100%. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into um, the impact that's had on, uh, I'm, I'm also a venue owner um, that's, that's got a nightclub that's been shut for, for seven months now. So a little bit later on when we talk about clubbing and stuff, uh, I'd, I'd like to sort of get your take on the impact that that's had on, on club culture this year. Um, but beforehand, um, let's get the playlist rolling, Norman. And for track one, the song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah, uh, imagine. By the way, you're not. We're not actually going to play any of these songs, are we? We'll do a Spotify playlist to accompany. Oh, right. uh, this podcast. So there's yeah. kind of audio visual aids because I'm not singing it for you. Oh, all right. Can you well, I might, well, I might sing. It, but imagine, <laughs> imagine a sort of teenage Norman. He wakes up every morning, and you kind of uh, teenagers need something to to get them going in the morning. So my my weapon of choice would be David Bowie going. See these eyes so red, <laughs> and I've been putting out fire with gasoline. <laughs> yes, um, just just the biggest, greatest sort of build-up. It starts really kind of wistful and quiet, but sort of menacing in the way that only David Bowie's baritone can be. And um, yeah, and it just builds up to that 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 line: putting out fire with gasoline. And it just, I just listen. I'm getting goose pimples just with my rendition of it. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm only in the grounds of it sets up the song. The rest of the song could be absolute garbage. Yeah. Because it's already, I've already come as soon as the, as soon as the, the tagline came in. Yeah. The ga- gasoline's the drop in it. And that's when it, it, it just goes from now. But- yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's such a great line putting out fire with gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was quite, I was quite interested as to what you was going to pick for this. Was you going to go, because generally sort of people go one or two ways it's either that kind of instant kind of bang like straight away from from the off like something like help or something like that but i beat you know just that instant call of arms and the other one is that kind of slow build to, to something and i was just kind of interested and it was do you think that's the sort of the dj influence in you there is is that kind of like find that intro it's either the djing or it's uh your sexual prowess where you go <laughs> Whether you go for a long or sexual technique, I should say, whether you go for a long, slow bill and then slam them, or where you go in hard, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I've always likened music to sex. I mean, I I, I wrote a comment years ago about BPMs, and because disco is generally acknowledged to be the tempo that we rut at. Yeah. You know, 120 BPM or so like shafts per minute seems to be the normal speed. So then it occurred to me that people who listen to like R and B slow jams. Kind of they're going to be doing it at a completely different speed. Or if you go to bed with someone who likes Gabba, then boy, you're in for a, for a rush. <laughs> That's so, going to be stealthy. Yeah, I mean, music, aside from being the soundtrack of your life, I think it is very sexual. And the the speed you do it or the rhythm you do it. And yeah, for me, I'd go for a long, slow build uh, with a big crescendo at the end of it, rather than a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. That's a wonderful insight right from the off. <laughs> Was there uh, any other sort of honourable mentions that nearly made the cut, uh, Noel? There was, yeah, there, there was a cut. There's slightly more obscure and possibly less cool. There was a tune called Curtain Call by The Damned, where she had the most impossibly long intro that literally went up from about a minute and a half, probably. Anyone who likes The Damned will remember it was like it was a B-side. But uh, yeah, that was another one that would get me out of bed in the morning. But that one I could actually kind of get up, make a cup of coffee, and put my socks on before the, you know, by the time yeah. it kicked in, I was actually sort of halfway into the day already. New Rose has uh, been chosen a few times on here. That that's that's a great intro, New Rose. Oh, what they're doing? That's really, really, that's really bizarre. Because I've been listening to that this morning. Oh, really? Yeah. In fact, I, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say. When's this going out? Uh no fixed date yet all right um because at the moment i'm just working on a public enemy remix 
and I was just listening to that very, very intro for inspiration. And when you hear it, you might find it sounds a little bit like that was my inspiration. When you hear the, if you, if, if it comes out and you yeah. hear my remix of Public Enemy, what's it called? Pirates. Uh, uh, pirate politicians. Yeah, it's Perry Farrell on um, on the chorus and Public Enemy doing a kind of anti-government thing. But yeah, listen to for the influence of damn neat, neat, neat. I mean, that's a bit special. Perry Farrell that's and Public Enemy. Yeah. Mate, and you've got your hands on that as well. They just asked me to remix it. They're trying to do it really quick before the election. Um, wow. Again, this might take this, this chat, but but that moment, what's more bizarre for me was the fact that you just mentioned the tune that I was playing this morning, thinking I want a bassline that goes like that. I promise I'm not looking through your window right now, and I'll promise Oopsie. you, mate. Well, I'm, I'm a bit worried now. <laughs> All right, track two. Uh, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Right now, you've got to remind me what these are because I'm got them written down. Um, it was probably I, the, I, uh, I, the whitest smile in American uh, middle of the road music, Chicago. Oh, right, yeah. Well, this basically, um, obviously, it's showing my age now, but this was a big tune when I was about 14. And when we it was when we started going to parties, and you, you up your game from listening to pop music to it becoming the soundtrack of your life. Now, in those days, I don't know if it's the same for today's teenagers, but there was probably not actually, there was a time of the evening where you went from playing punk tunes and, uh, you know, Susie Quattro and, and, the Sweet and David Barry, you went to the slow jams just near the end. Mm. Now, there's the moment where you you try all the person you've been like trying to stare at or catch their eye or like everything. It was like musical chairs because you put the slow jam on and everyone would pile onto the person that they were they wanted to get with. And so this song would be the soundtrack either to me being, you know, having copping a feel and, and dancing very close to a lady and possibly getting some snogging action yeah or sitting in the corner like a wallflower watching somebody <laughs> i knew doing what i wanted to be doing with said girl so it was always a very emotional song it was just it was just a big smoochy song of, of of my youth and so it was either the soundtrack to to triumph or or, or unmitigated disaster on whether or not you got to, you were near enough to that girl when that tune came on to be dancing with her I normally ask guests what the emotion was, but I guess yours is, is kind of a game of two halves then. It's kind of sadness and, and joy, depending on uh, yeah, the yeah. outcome. And if it comes on the radio, I can you can tell what kind of mood I'm in because I'll either be going, oh, I'll be going. <laughs> yeah, you could tell where my where my mental state is. Brilliant. I was doing, yeah, my reaction to it. And those kind of like formative years at home uh, growing up, was there records on? Like, was you, you know, was there your folks playing music a lot? All the time, yeah. What All sort of stuff? My, my diet was mainly the Beatles, the Carpenters, and Peter, Paul, and Mary. Peter, Paul, and Mary, they're a kind of American, they were kind of a very sanitized version of protest songs. Mm. Um, they did mainly sort of covers of Bob Dylan songs and things. And yeah, they were the three things that I really remember. There was a little bit of Kenny Ball and his jazz men, but I kind of that doesn't stick in my mind but yeah the beatles the carpenters and peter paul and mary would you was you obsessive over music at an early age yeah pretty much pretty much i i kind of re remember the moment which was in i think i was eight when the osmonds came to town and they were like that was the biggest thing it was on the news when they arrived at the airport and they were playing at wembley or something and oh, where was sorry i should say where was home then norm Home then was a place called Rygate in Surrey. And um, yeah, that, and he, yeah, and Donny Osmond was playing Crazy Horses and he had a leather jacket with his name in studs on the back and he had a piano with light bulbs on it that lit up when he played it. And eight-year-old me thought, I want a piece of that. Yeah. That's what I want to do for a living. And it's quite funny because you look back at the sort of DJ consoles that I've played now, and I'm not far off. About from, from um, but yeah, no, that was when that, that was when I just became obsessed with pop music, and I just thought, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was a good time for to be a, a younger kid listening to music. We had glam rock and stuff, like that, which is really easy for kids to get into. You know, you just get into the outfits yeah. and the hairstyle. So sort of David Bowie and Sweet and Slade and all those things were quite it was quite fun music to grow up to. And then and then punk rock happened when I was 
15, 14, 15. And, they, and that was, a great, again, punk rock was just the thing a 15-year-old wants to, you know, have to rebel and explore and challenge everything. So I've, I've been very lucky. I lived through great eras of music, I think. What an age to catch punk. Yeah, yeah. I was absolutely, I was sitting there ready for, I, it, it, had it happened six months later, I don't know what happened because I just bought, I think I just bought my first Rainbow album and maybe a Kiss record. Yeah. So I was kind of going the other side because I just wanted something really loud and snotty. Yeah. And then luckily Punk came and, came and saved me from kind of American rock tragedy and kicked everything. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just what 14-year-olds what want, isn't it? Chance I, to be... I mean, look, looking at the, the next question, I think we're, 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 from your song choice, we're going to keep chatting Punk anyway. So for... Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Track three, Norm, the song that reminds you of your time at school. Again, I'm so sorry. I'm, I can't remember what <laughs> You went, uh, Sheena was a punk rocker. Oh, this is the test. <laughs> Ramones, Sheena. Sheena was a punk rocker, yeah. Uh, and again, this is, you know, is this is this. I always like the more tuneful end of punk. I, I kind of like the the stance and the, the 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 fashions and the rebellion. But I didn't like music that was just like, oh, 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 shouting. So I still had an ear for a tune. And Sheena is a punk rocker could easily have been by the Ronettes. Yeah. Or even I found out I found out recently that the Ramones based themselves on the Bay City Rollers. They really? The same, they had an epiphany like I did when they were growing up. They would watch the Bay City Rollers and they thought, we want to be like that. And obviously theirs was a kind of stupid New York take on it. But that was their yeah, that was their benchmark, was the Bay City Rollers. I guess love or, or hate the Bay City Rollers, they looked like a gang, didn't they? Yeah, and they actually, it was on a documentary about the Bay City Rollers, I think, and it was there was some song that they had that went, hey, oh, let's go, hey, oh. Right. Which, which sort of became Blitzkrieg Bob. Um, so, yeah, so this was kind of right when we'd sort of read about punk rock, and I think the damned was one of my first ever punk rock record I heard. My brother came home with the Damned album and I heard that bass line on Need Eat and I bought the record by the end. Of, I bought the album off him by the end of that song. Uh, but the, in, in my house, Sheena was a punk rocker. Was, I, I, it was just, it, I think because my parents didn't mind us playing. Some of the other punk stuff we, we couldn't play when our parents were around. Yeah. But this was quite sort of tuneful and happy and it's just, I don't know, it just reminds me of that long, hot summer of 76, I think. How did you find? How, how was school, Norm? Did you enjoy it? Not really, no. What didn't you like about I got, school? I, was all, I just didn't like the authority. I didn't like the. I went to grammar school and it was quite sort of strict, and we had to wear blazers and call people sir and all those things that you don't like doing at that age. Um, and I kind of muddled through it. I wasn't like, you know, a, a, a truant or a huge rebel, but I just, I just tolerated it, tolerated it as a means to an end. Um, it got a lot better when I left the grammar school. I went to a sixth form college. That was when I, I 
I quite enjoyed that experience. Was you a creative kid? I think so. Yeah, I was. I it was mainly music obsessed, but I I I, I wrote a fanzine and interviewed people and made a fanzine, which is uh, and I was in bands from uh, literally the minute I could borrow a drum kit off my neighbour. Uh, but yeah, I mean, creative, but mainly pretty much obsessed with music. Was you confident? Fair, yeah, I've always been a bit gobby, yeah. Driven? Driven, yeah. Anything to get out of Rygate. Anyone who's ever lived in Rygate will know that it, all you want to do is get out of there. <laughs> so in regards to like, the kind of music you was listening to at this age and, and, and when you was at college, was you... Just, just looking at you know as as normal as a producer now. Would you kind of de would you deconstruct records when you'd listen to them and kind of work out how they were put together? I didn't. Uh, I didn't until uh, I bought an album uh, called uh, by called Black and Blue by the Rolling Stones, and there was a tune on it called Fool to Cry. And if that, if you ever get a chance to listen to that, the, the intro is like a, a Wurlitzer through a chorus. It's that kind of 70s kind of um, sound. And it's just such a beautiful sound. And I'd, at that point, I was probably studying music, like music O-level. And I knew it was a keyboard, but it's like, what keyboard? That's not a piano. It just sounds so sexy and warbly and whooshy and gushy. And that was the first time I asked someone and someone explained there's an electric piano called a Fender Rhodes, and then you put it through a chorus and that makes it go all spongy and then you split it into stereo. And that was the first time I've had the idea of like, you start with one sound and then you can create something else. And that, that yeah, I remember distinctly me thinking, isn't that clever? And from then on, I started getting more interested in, well, when you're in bands, you get the idea of how it's put together. You know, you've got to think, right, so a bass, Bass player plays a bass line and drummer. The drum is, the drum's all right because you've been playing air drums most of your life. Um, but just the way tunes are put together, and as soon as you start going into studio, you have to really think because you can't have an idea and then you try it and it just sounds rubbish. Mm. And then some, but it's the way different instruments work together and, and, and using compression and reverb and delays and things like that. And yeah, I, I, I'd slowly got more and more interested in that side of it less so in actually being a musician um so around the time when around the time when music became my job when i was in the house martins instead of spending all my time learning how to play the bass better i was just obsessed with the studios and how they work every time i went in the studio i'd just be chatting to the engineer and the producer the whole time and trying to learn things off them so I, they, they, yeah, I was quite quickly more interested in the studio than the guitar. And so, would that have been around the time that, um, like, I guess samplers were, were starting to arrive? It was just before samplers started to arrive, um, and during my time in the house, Martins, all my mates who were DJs started boshing out records and having hits with them, and people like Coldcut and Tim Simonon and things, the people who I used to DJ with, and it's like, they're making pop records. I want to I want to make records like that. And that was kind of the writing on the wall for me being in the house Martins when when the, the drum machine and the sampler came out, it's like, oh, actually, I much prefer to make music I like rather than yeah. what I feel is my heritage growing up in suburb, you know, growing up a white kid in suburban Surrey. Well, we're talking about sort of uh, pop music then, and, and I want to just touch on something because you know, from, from seeing the suite and, and seeing Bowie and things like that, I imagine we're talking about Top of the Pops here. That would have been. And so um, I've, I've had Lindy on this podcast a couple of times now. And, uh, and uh, oh, she's wonderful, isn't she? She's like such a, an, an absolute diamond, Lindy. And, uh, and I saw her on a TV show uh, on a Top of the Pops thing about the 90s. I don't know if you watched it. And, I didn't uh, watch it. I think, was I in it? Uh, it was, yeah, yeah, it was Beats International, it was 1990, and, uh, and she was saying about your approach to kind of going on stage on top of the pops, and it was to like, you know, just try and sort of play it down and, and not get makeup on and things like that, and, and she was touching on sort of things like that, but I want to go back to to, to the house minds, and, and I just want to ask, like, what was your expectations of going on top of the pops for the first time, and, and did it deliver? Yeah, it was, I mean... Explain to people now how much 
top of the pops was just the the kind of the bible and the the the, the peak of everything about pop music um and having grown up from from zero watching it to finally be on it i can't even begin to explain how exciting <laughs> that. and yeah i literally, literally just dance around the room and it had been sort of like oh we might get we might get on top of the pops we might get on top of the pops and it's like you're on top of the pops next week you know and it was so exciting yeah no it lived up to everything we got to we got to hang out with the other bands in the, you know, in the BBC dressing rooms. Could you remember who they uh, were? Can you remember who else was on your first yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. Paul McCartney was in the next dressing room. Just drop that one in. <laughs> he was lovely. Uh, Depeche Mode were on. Um, actually, I can't remember beyond that. They were, they were the only two that I that I kind of yeah. talked to. And yeah, it was brilliant. It was just, I mean, it was it was lovely. It was brilliant because you started getting in the studios half the size you thought it would be. And then you realise that that bit's only over there, and and you know the mechanics of, of having watched something all your life to yeah. then be in it. It's like being in a dream, really. Yeah. But no, it was, it was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. Lived up to everything, and it was one of those those things you tick off in your life. Going that was, you know, that was definitely at the very, very top of my bucket list. Brilliant. First song you remember buying from a record shop, Norm? Sorry. First song you remember buying from a record shop. Uh, remind me what I chose. Uh, I would Devil Gate Drive. Susie Devil Gate Drive. Yes, I might not have bought. It might have been bought for me, but it was the first pop record I possessed, and I still love it to this day. Actually, I think it's aged quite well. Again, it's just that kind of. Teen, I just want some teenage mayhem, please, yeah. and I want it dirty. And with Susie Quattro, also it'd be quite sexy. Girl in leather playing the bass. That'd do it for me every time. I, I, I had a listen again this morning. I've not heard it for a while. It's got a great intro, that record. Yeah, I should have put that in my intro, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's a raunchy record, isn't it? It's, yeah. It still sounds raunchy to this day in every shape and form of the world. So, um, yeah, it's and that was that was kind of like, if you put that on, in, that, that was probably the record that got me ending up DJing because... In those days, there was no streaming and there was no, you know, to have to hear a record at party, you suddenly had to bring a copy of it there. And so I was the only one in my town who had the copy of actual physical copy of Devil Gate Drive. So I would get invited to parties just so we could play it. And then somebody else had a copy of Down Down by Status Quo and somebody else had Hi-Ho Silver Lining. And between the, all of us, we had a party, you know. So, um, and it was because of getting invited to parties to my record collection that I started DJing. So one one day somebody said, Oh, will you, you know, come to the party, will you bring a record? So I'm like, the thing is, the records always get trashed, you know, teenage parties, they get covered in vomit and blood and sperm or whatever. And um, so I said, I you so if I don't bring my records, she was like, Oh, I really, you know, we kind of need your records. So she said, How about if my dad hires those like double decks, like DJs use, and and you could be like the DJ. And so I thought, oh, I'll give it a try. And my uncle was a DJ, and so I got a couple of tips off him. And I did it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. it something, that was kind of a light bulb moment. I'm like, I really enjoy, I really, I've always really enjoyed having records and sharing them with, with people. But this takes it to a new level of performance and just that thought of being in the middle of a party and, and making people all lose themselves. Um, so, I, yeah, that, that kind of, and, and they all seem to enjoy it. And after that, every week, someone would hire the deck so I could go and play at their party. And that began my DJing career. So it was all about having records like Devil, Dra Devil Gate Drive, which in those days would set a party on fire. Sorry for the interruption. It's just a super quick advert. The Signal is a platform for podcasters to launch a fully featured app onto the App Store and Google Play in just a matter of days. It allows you to monetize your podcast with in-app subscriptions and offer in exchange a whole world of features for your listeners, like exclusive episodes, ad-free versions of episodes, YouTube live streams, downloads, and much, much more. The Signal allows you to put all your best content into one place that you control. No more trying to play the algorithm directly with your audience and give them more of what they love. For just a small monthly cost and no contracts, you get your app into stores in days, not months. No big upfront development costs, no waiting months for beta versions, just all your content under your control. And even better, if you tell them Stu sent you, 
they will waive the £100 setup fee. So go to thesignal.app and take your podcast to the next level. Back to my podcast. And and in regards to sort of record shops, like how how important did they become a place to hang out for you growing up? Um, not so much to hang out in. Um, they were great. They were a source. I mean, my you know that I, I became an addiction. I became a vinyl junkie, and so I would be in the record shop every Saturday morning with my pocket money, or um. The, uh, when I had a paper round, yeah, you know, I get paid Saturday morning, and I just go straight to the record shop. And they would have about they would always have about six singles there that I had on a whole. It's like I can afford those four this week. So yeah, it always been my sort of addiction. So for me, it wasn't some so much a social thing. It was just where I got my fix. So like every week I've got to have tunes back. Need a fix. Do you still like to uh, head into town and have a look around the the indies? No, no. I I did some filming in my local record shop the other day, and it it felt very strange because I just don't don't. God, I I bemoaned the death of vinyl so much, but when it went and I did switch over to to, to trawling the internet, I sort of wonder how I ever found the time to spend I don't know, probably at least one day of my life a week <laughs> hanging around, going down around all the different shops, and especially once I was a DJ. I felt it was like, you know, that's this is my job. It's part of my mm. job is to hang around. And um, but I've got to be honest, I've got more memories really of working in a record shop than being a customer because for four years I worked in, in Roundel Records in Brighton. And that was a very formative uh time. Again, just just my kind of thirst to devour everything about pop music and culture and everything, to be in the middle of it and watching how people consumed it and and what turned them on we used to play have you ever seen high fidelity about a million times no <laughs> I, I you know that i watched that film it's like he he works in a record shop oh that was so, gonna be my question how much was it like high fidelity <laughs> it was exactly like that we had i had it sort of slightly different because i i ours was the only um shop in brighton that, that specialized in dance music so i had a special kind of train spottery uh nature which was that i served all the djs so if a DJ walked in, whoever I was serving, I'd just say to the other person, oh, can you take, take over this Bruce Springsteen album, please? And then I would, I would have a little section with what, the D, what each DJ would want. And I yeah. used to serve Carl, Carl Cox and Dave Clark and all the DJs in Brighton would come in. And that, again, in terms of, of, of liking club, club music, it, I really learned you know, what was what and who was who and, and how it, connected and you know certain like certain days there was, used to be a, uh, a club on monday nights at coasters with a dj called rory who's this outrageous queen he's outrageous tranny who would play to all these straight guys and i don't know for some reason and he was playing them all like gay disco and so you would get all these geezers would come in on tuesday and they go well have you got that tune that Rory plays? Do you, uh, you know, and then we'd always know what the new tune was. And yeah, just all, just the little nuances of how club culture, uh, you know, revolves around the record shop and around the DJs and the relationship between the two. And, and working in the record shop, I became the conduit because I knew the DJs. Yeah. I was ordering the records and, and selling them to people. Well, let's, let's talk club culture because for track five, uh, Norm, I'm going to ask you uh, the song that soundtracked your year's clubbing. And you're going to tell me it was Tori Amos. Tori Amos, professional widow. Yes, this was the most hard. This is the hardest one yeah. because my days of clubbing. It wasn't just like oh, do you remember that summer when we went to clubs? I've got thirty years, so I couldn't think of a tune that spanned the whole thirty years. It probably would have started with "I Feel Love," the Patrick Cowley reg- oh, mega mix of "I Feel." Yeah, it was almost. It was almost "Native Love" by Divine. Wow. Which was the big tune that Rory used to play that that all us straight boys used to like. Uh, and then, but then I was thinking, well, that probably doesn't mean anything to anyone now. Whereas, whereas I think Professional Widow is a is a bridge between that older sound and what's going on today. Still sounds fabulous today. But just but again, in terms of my life as a remixer. That was one of those remixes. Just took a song by the scruff of the neck, shook it out, and made it something completely different. And 
really groundbreaking and and, and it's kind of reset the the boundaries of what remixes can do and what was what was house music you know was it is it house music it's sort of full on the floor but it's kind of more than just a house record or a, you know a disco record and yeah and it's just one of those universal tunes that everybody loves and gets the girls gets the words wrong yes are you bringing your dogs tonight are you bringing your dogs tonight is that a gay pig is that a gay pig <laughs> that's what we used to sing anyway um well, well let's talk about um I, I i guess club clubbing in 2020 because as as mentioned at the beginning i've got venues had his doors shut for for seven months and what what's been the impact on 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 you this year norm as a dj i mean i, I imagine it's been huge yeah uh yeah i'm basically unemployable um yeah i mean really quickly but as soon as i think when coachella got we're like this is this is serious this isn't just you know something going on um yeah and and but just had to take it on the chin really and uh i'm under no illusions that that kind of what i do will be one of the last things to be put in back in place when this pandemic is over and i can't moan about it i can't you know i just have to and i can't beat myself up about it the only time i i kind of got a bit down was the Glastonbury weekend where every radio, every on the radio and the TV and everyone came down to my house to do a Glastonbury. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be reminded of what I'm missing. I yeah. prefer just to go and chat it out and get on with life. So yeah, I'm in, I'm, I'm kind of in acceptance stroke denial. Um, I mean, I'm lucky in, that I can afford to take a year off. Uh, so I'm a fortunate like that and i've got my kids and they they've been keeping me busy so but yeah no i'm just i'm kind of in limbo like like i said a bit like a rabbit in the headlights don't really know quite what to do apart from just you know sitting out and, and trying to be a good citizen you know we, there's things we try to do and then we just you know we try to do driving rave i was gonna say have you, have you done these things yet yeah we, we've we've almost done so many things and just thought at the last minute, no, I just don't feel comfortable. Or, this is this is too dangerous, or this, you know, you know. No, I think rather than trying to get around uh, whatever level of lockdown we're on, I th I'm kind of accepting it and thinking, well, this is the means to end to to, to you know to, to kill off the virus, and, and then we can get back to our, our normal yeah. lives. Track six, no. But at the same time, at the same time, it's it's easy for me to say because I can afford to take a year off. Yeah. There, there, um, but one of the things I have been motivated to do is is to get involved with with trying to help venues out and uh, and also the the, the the like the nighttime economy and all the people that I work with, most of whom are self employed, so they haven't been furloughed or anything. So yeah, I mean the the worst there's two really bad case scenarios. One of which is this goes on so long that whole generation don't grow up clubbing, and then they find something else to do, and by the time the clubs reopen. No one wants to go to them anymore. And then the other scenario, which is more likely, is that there's just so few venues and, and people in the business left by the time we switch the lights back on. So I've been doing quite a lot of um, helping out with the campaigns to, 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 for the venues to get money to keep them afloat and to try and help out uh, the, the workers who work in that economy. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty bleak on that front. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was nice to see last week that, you know, a lot of our kind of favourite grassroots venues and some of the more established venues seemed to get some funding last week. I saw that, I saw that Fabric yeah. got some money and, and, uh, and some of the sort of smaller sort of, you know, toilet circuit live venues got some, some funding. So, uh, yeah, that, that's encouraging to see. I think, yeah, I mean, if we keep pushing, putting pressure on it, it's only, it's a question of priorities. Obviously, uh, the government can't bail out every single person in, in England. Everyone has a different uh, experience of it, but it's just their priorities. You know, they'll bail out the bankers, but they won't bail out somebody who works in the nightclub because they don't see it as that important. But I think the turning point was the whole Fatima advert debacle because that first wave of, of grants came out the day after that. They was like, so they obviously had it in place. They just didn't want to do it unless they have to. But yeah. if we keep pressure on, we can do it. I believe there's another wave. The second wave of grants is coming this week. Yeah. So yeah, if we all keep on the government's case, we can, we can get some kind of thing. I mean, you know, it won't solve anything, but I think just 
people, the, the public at large, realizing that the, the creative sector and 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 the, the music and entertainment sector is part a valuable part of our culture, you know, as, as well as our economy. And 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 I think people are are realizing that more than ever now because you know Friday nights and Saturday nights generally they're they're tucked up in bed at ten o'clock now and and not out and about doing what they'd love to be doing. And I think you know that's that's really bringing the attention to to how much and, and how vital you know I think club culture is and you know I've, I've, my, my daughter's going to be 18 in two weeks and it's like I'm like what are you going to do she's like I don't know can't go clubbing and it's like yeah it is and it's just, you just think like that 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 first scenario you you you, you said no I just think oh fucking hell please don't let that be the one you know where yeah. you know there is a whole generation of people that that you know. Well, the onus is on you, my friend, mm. to take your daughter clubbing as soon as you can. Just <laughs> personally frog march her down there and show her what a time looks like. <laughs> All right. Don't, don't let this die with us. With our <laughs> Norm, track six, a favourite song from an artist from your home county. From my home? Oh, I thought it was country. That's all right. Go country. A lot of people you know, get that. Uh, yeah, just bad, bad. Uh, that's my dyslexia kicking in. Um, I could have done count. I, well, if it would been my county, I, I would have done a nod coming back to Rygate. I would have done a nod to Disclosure. Nice. They're the, the only other act to come out of uh, Rygate where I lived. There was a few like the Cure, slightly south of us in Hawley. Uh, but yeah, no, Dis Disclosure, the only people who put Rygate on the map. So props to them. Um, but I, for the purposes of this, I took it as country rather than county. And did I choose um, Johnny and... No, Looking for Clues? It, you, same, same album. Yeah, yeah. Looking for Clues, Robert Palmer. Looking for Clues, Robert Palmer, yeah. Um, just, I, don't know what, I don't know why. It was, it was thinking about the country thing. I was thinking, obviously, half the music I like probably by my countrymen. But it struck me something about... I've always felt an affinity of Robert Palmer being a white kid who liked black music. And in those days, it was kind of, you know, it's kind of, what do you do? You know, you either become a DJ and you play that kind of music, uh, or, but Robert Palmer, bless him, was, was gifted with a beautiful sort of blue-eyed soul voice, mm. so he could sing it. And yeah, I, I just think he did some, he did some really in, innovative, really uh, experimental stuff, but still really catchy, still got in the pop charts. And I, you know, and he was kind of a bon viveur, which I always, which I sort of uh, grew up um, admiring. And then I, I kind of had, a, I kind of had a zenith when um, I got a chance to record at Compass Point Studios in Nassau, which is where he used to live and record. And as did like Sly and Robbie, and it was a really legendary studio. And I, I was at that point in my career where the record company came, went, where do you want to record? I went, Compass Point. I went, okay. I was like, what, really? So, yeah, I went and, um, and worked there for a month. And, yeah, the, the stories, the, 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 the two people who used it there were Julio Iglesias and Robert Palmer. And it was like the a competition of who was the most impressive at being like a, a gentleman, making great tunes, speaking three different languages, going out and bedding the world's finest women, but still turning up 9 a.m. on the dot wearing a really smart suit yeah. looking like I'd been to bed for more than an hour. And then, yeah. So yeah, he's, uh, he just, his his lifestyle and yeah, just to be someone who, who liked a white person liking black music, but who could also make it acceptable, uh, as, a, as pop music. Yeah. He would have made a great James Bond, wouldn't he? Robert Palmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So maybe nineties later, I wasn't so, such a fan of like the Power Station years. Yeah, and when, he went, when he went to rock, I think he kind of sold his soul. By then, he would have been the Bond villain. Yeah, <laughs> that he, the... him and Nile Rogers in that even there, looking <laughs> up bad funk rock records. <laughs> we um with a, whole, with a whole load of blonde with a whole load of girls with their hair all slicked down. <laughs> They're henchmen. But that that record that um the uh, the track that you chose is from is the same album with Johnny and Mary on and 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 I've, I played that because someone else chose a record ages ago from that album and and I was in in honesty only really familiar with 
Johnny and Mary. And I listened to it, and it's it's a strange record, isn't it? It's like it's kind of he's wrestling between a kind of his previous stuff with Vinegar Joe and all that, that kind of like more rock bluesy kind of stuff. But technology's having a massive input on it, and it's like yeah. it's quite a strange sounding fact, record. Do you, know, do you know who played synth on that album? No. Gary Newman. Really? Gary Newman played the keyboards on that album, yeah, which explains the kind of early use of of, of, of technology. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the Johnny and Mary, that's quite a sort of fat synth sound on that, isn't it? Yeah, but played by hand. I don't think it was sequenced. Yeah. If you hear, it's actually like, it's got that human touch. It's like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, all right, well, for your last track, um, Norm, this is um, when you get to do what you do best and, uh, and, and, and you DJ now and you can... Uh, turn someone on to a new piece of music so this is for track seven uh, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear again remind me uh it was uh, uh a two minute jazz record um oh god the artist was i love the fact you don't know. i've got <laughs> well, it someone somewhere should have a script shouldn't they i've got so could... <laughs> i have got it here <clears throat> it was oh gosh i can't remember his name uh, don't worry we'll edit this bit out <laughs> we can edit this bit out don't worry uh, it was I'd get up the email but I don't know how to get K off this screen and Kamazi Washington oh Kamazi Washington yeah this I didn't realise it was a DJing thing this would just be a, I don't think I'd turn people on as a DJ I think it wouldn't work in a club mm. but no I just if I was turned on to this tune by um, Thingy from The Office, who is Gollum, uh, Martin Freeman. Mm. He played it on Six Music or something, and it I, it just hit me so hard that I had to pull over when I was driving and have a little cry. Oh, really? Yeah. The lyrics and the lyrics, well, just everything about it just touched me. And um, so, yeah, in some weird... Uh, kind of sociological experiment. I just want to see if it touches other people. And please, yeah, send me a postcard or go on my go on my uh, Instagram. And tell me if this song touched you too when you listen to it. I don't know. It's just something I. It was just it just touched me emotionally, uh, and I just thought it was a very a thing of great beauty, which is what I would like to turn people on. F frustrated as I am in making people dance at the moment. I've kind of gone the other way and I'm thinking more about the emotive side of music rather than just moving people's butts. So this is this is a cerebral a cerebral uh, um, share for you. Wonderful. Um, Norman, as we and find... if it does make you cry, do tell me. Please please get in touch and tell me if it made you cry too. Um, as we find ourselves, you know, fast approaching the end of the year and, you know, staying positive that, that 2021 is going to, going to be a kind of uh, a, an exciting new year of, of, of lots of kind of fun and positive things. Um, what are you most looking forward to, um, Norm, personally? And what have you got coming up professionally? Professionally, I, I seem to have started doing remixes. I just, last week, I remixed Pele for his 80th birthday. I remixed a Pele tune because he, he, he's made a few albums over you. He's quite a good singer. Hmm. Uh, and um, I've got I, oh I've got a compilation album that I'm supposed to be plugging. Right. That's the one I think. <laughs> to mine, yeah. I, someone really should have written a script before I did this, shouldn't they? Um, yeah, I've got a compilation album coming out. Back to mine, which is every probably most of your viewers will be aware of the um, the series. And I can't believe I haven't got around to doing one before. It was I'd already signed up to do it before lockdown. But I was able to give it way more of my attention and, and, and um, really immerse myself into the process of, of collating it and, and compiling it, um, which I wouldn't normally have had time to give it so much love. And it is, it's a labour of love. It's, it, I, you know, just to go through all the records that have been played in, in various back to mind sessions over the years is amazing how they just brought back so many memories of different people. The, you know, each tune, it just reminded me of one night or one person um, and so many memories. And, and that made me feel really good. It made me feel in, in the midst of the kind of isolation of lockdown, 
reinstalled my faith that music brings us together and becomes the soundtrack of our life and helps us in times of, of, uh, of when we need reassurance. So yeah, it was, it's, it was songs full of love, hopefully to make you smile rather than dance. Again, generally my job is just to get make people's butts music move and it's nothing to do with the head or the emotions so much. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just tunes to cheer you up that remind me of, of fun, times at home and in a time where having fun at home is, is, the, only, is the only place you can do it so hopefully it would be the, the soundtrack to a few people's kitchen raves or, or nights in and hopefully they'll uh, you'll sort of spawn new memories and emotions that come along with these tunes wonderful and personally Norm what are you looking forward to personally I've just thought, looking forward to DJing again I, I did I managed to do four shows I was in Ibiza in the summer and I managed to do four sort of socially distanced pool parties. And even with that distance and with people not actually physically dancing, just that communication of sharing music that I love with other people and watching them have fun to it. It's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of part of my DNA. And um, though I don't allow myself to miss it, I will be so, so happy when I can do it again. And on any level, I mean, I did, I did a, uh, I did a, a, a stream where I, it was me against a green screen and thinking, oh God, this, this is going to be really hard work standing in my kitchen in front of a green screen trying to pretend I'm having fun. But there was like six technicians in the room doing it. And I said to him, look, it's Tuesday lunchtime. I've got to make this look like I'm at Glastonbury. Can you give me, you know, to try and get, you know, give me a hand. And over the next two hours, we all really got into it. And I realized that I only need seven, you know, seven people is enough. It doesn't have to be 7,000, yeah. just seven. But just to have that conversation with people and just to, I love turning people on and I miss that. I miss that. But um, no, I don't miss it. I know I can live without it. Um, but I live without it. But my life will be so much richer when it, when it re-arrives. Wonderful. No, thank you very much. That's all right. Well, it's been, it's been a little chat. There you go. Just signing off from a little chat with Fatboy Slim. I think if you would have told me that this time last year, I'd never have believed you. And uh, when I did put this podcast together, there was, there was a few guests that I'd always kind of wanted to chat to. And, um, and Norman was well up there on that list. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it was a real a real delight to get to to sit and tutor the fat about tunes with him and uh, and I hope that you've got as in as much enjoyment uh, listening as I did having that natter and uh, yeah well I'll be back next week as mentioned at the beginning as well if you enjoyed this episode then go and have a, a rummage in the back catalogue if this was your first time listening because there's a bundle of stuff with some of your favourite musicians, actors, DJs, comedians etc etc go and have a rummage find out about everything you need to know regarding this podcast at www.offthebeatandnotbeatenbeatandtrackpodcast.com thanks ever so much for listening I'll see you next time bye bye It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Hey,